0: Hi, this is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. And before we get to this week's episode, I'd like to introduce you to one of the producers here at C-SPAN, my colleague Sean.
1: Thanks, Rachel. If you're a fan of the 2024 Campaign Trail podcast, we think you'll also like our evening newsletter, Word for Word, which brings you a recap of the day's most important political and policy events delivered right to your inbox. Read about what happened on Capitol Hill and at the White House and watch video highlights featuring the day's newsmakers. Hear them word for word.
0: Join our community of informed listeners and viewers. Head over to cspan.org/connect and subscribe to Word for Word today.
1: Thanks for listening and staying connected with Word for Word. Subscribe now at cspan.org/connect. Thank you.
2: This week on 2024 Campaign Trail, C-SPAN takes you to California, where Nikki Haley began her swing through Super Tuesday states. And to New York, where the race to replace expelled Republican Congressman George Santos is soon drawing to a close. We'll also talk to a political comedy expert on the impact of candidate appearances on late-night shows. But first, a look at results and reaction in this past week's primaries and caucuses. After a decisive win in South Carolina's February 3rd Democratic primary, President Biden moved on to Nevada ahead of its February 6th primary. Here he was in Las Vegas the day before the primary, meeting with members of the local 226 Culinary Union.
3: So I came to say thank you. Not just thank you for the support you've given me last time out and this time, but thank you for having a faith in the union. Thank you for continuing to push it, because it really matters. It matters, it matters, it matters. And so, like I said, my dad would say, it's all about dignity, being treated with dignity. My dad would no more walk by the, the shoeshine guy in the Hotel DuPont, where the DuPont company was, and, or the, if he saw the, the chairman of the board, he'd say hi, but he'd walk over and make sure he said hi to the shoeshine guy, too, because that's what we're all about. That's what built America, and Bob, we're coming back. We really are.
2: President Biden went on to garner nearly 90% support in Nevada's primary. Democratic presidential candidate and self-help author, Marianne Williamson, suspended her campaign on Wednesday after garnering only single digit percentages in the New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada primaries. Next, her video message posted online in which she officially suspends her campaign.
4: I read a quote the other day that said that sunsets are proof that endings can be beautiful too. And so today, even though it is time to suspend my campaign for the presidency, I do want to see the beauty, and I want all of you who so incredibly supported me on this journey, as donors, as supporters, as team, and as volunteers, to see the beauty, too. There is so much for us to take from this, and that includes knowing that we laid it down in ways that we should all be proud of. We spoke for those who could not speak for themselves in this society. We spoke for those whose lives are falling apart at least indirectly, because of bad public policy. We spoke of those who were struggling because of environmental crises, because of racial crises, because of criminal crises, because of economic crises. We did what we could to shed some light in some very darkened times. For that, I will always be so grateful. I take memories into my heart that will last forever. And particularly for those of you, particularly those of you who are young, who felt that in this campaign you saw hope, I want you to remember that that which is most important does not end on this day. The story itself is so long, the American story. The arc of history is what matters. And the ideas that we stood for, the ideas that are articulated, ideas, you can still go to Marianne2024.com and you can read those issues pages. You can think about running yourself. You can think about being part of the longer story of American history. And no, not every individual effort succeeded for everyone who ever tried to make some progress. But anytime we put out that ripple of hope, anytime we put out any good idea, anytime we shed light in a darkened sky, then that light will remain and the darkness shall be less. So you go forward and you take it from here and I will be with you in whatever way unfolds for me. This one campaign is over now, but that larger arc of American history, it goes on. And it is my deepest hope that we in some way contributed to that larger story. And if you feel that it did, if you feel that you have a deeper appreciation of the promise of America and of your responsibility to do something about it, to bend that arc in the direction of greater justice, greater hope, greater inspiration, and greater life for the millions and millions of people who live in this country or are affected by our policies around the world, then this campaign will have succeeded. And for that, I thank all of you who helped it succeed. I take your love with me, I take your support with me, and I know that, as with every ending, it's always a new beginning. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I bless you, we bless this country, and let's also bless this world. Thank you so much.
2: Former President Trump was the winner in this week's Republican nominating contest in Nevada. He wasn't on the ballot for the state's Tuesday primary, which isn't binding on the state's 26 delegates to the summer's Republican National Convention in Milwaukee. But the choice of none of these candidates did beat out rival Nikki Haley, an outcome his campaign had encouraged supporters to make happen. The Associated Press also called Thursday's party-run caucus for him, with more than 99% support. Next, some of his remarks from Las Vegas on Thursday evening, which included some reaction to the Supreme Court hearing arguments in his ballot eligibility case earlier in the day.
5: So I appreciate the uh, tremendous record that you set tonight, you set an all-time record. So, and it really was, it was a tremendous turnout, it's, it's, uh, they had lines going back, and they sort of knew who yeah, it was going to get 98%, it. we wanted to get over 80%. And we got 98. And also, if you remember, and last night, you know what happened last night, right? None of the above. So I'd like to congratulate none of the above. I was one of those none of ever aboves. I was one of them. No, I I watched that last night. And they won by 44 points. None of the above. So I want to congratulate. But seriously, we have to get back. This was a great day. This was a great night. Our Supreme Court hopefully will be doing something in terms of helping our country and preserving democracy. We have to preserve our democracy. And I think they had a very, very interesting day and a very beautiful day, perhaps. I think it was really a very beautiful sight to watch. And it's the way it's supposed to be. And hopefully the decision will be a very important decision, but there 's never been anything like it in the polls we 're leading everybody. We are right now. Is there any way we can call the election for next tuesday that 's all I want. I want to call the election for next Tuesday, but we're going to uh, we 're going to make our country great again we 're going to make it great we 're going to make it greater than ever before. The enthusiasm and the turnout, Doug and I were talking, I don't think you've ever seen anything like it, right?
2: Nikki Haley has a difficult road ahead in trying to close her polling gap with rival former President Donald Trump among Republican voters in Super Tuesday states. The morning consult polled GOP primary voters in the eight most populous Super Tuesday states, all due to vote on March 5th. In all but one of them, Massachusetts, the former president garnered more than 75 percent support, His rival Nikki Haley clocked her lowest showings in Oklahoma with just 11 percent, Alabama with 12 percent, and Texas with 15 percent. Next a portion of her Wednesday night rally in Los Angeles, her first major visit to a Super Tuesday state.
6: It's great to be here in Orange County. I gotta tell you, it's Oh, LA County, sorry, sorry. I was in Orange County earlier. I don't even know where I'm sleeping these days, so you got to forgive me on that. It's next week, I will have been, been in the um, campaign for a year. And when I think about what that year has been like, we had 14 candidates. We've been able to defeat a dozen of the fellas. we got one more left. Look at what happened yesterday. Trump loses the case on having immunity for whatever comes next. Republicans lose a fight on the border. They lose a fight on Israel aid. The head of the Republican Party loses her job. Everything that Donald Trump touches, it's chaos. <laughs> Let's get the EPA out of the way. Right now they care more about sagebrush lizards than they do if we can afford our utility bill. Let's speed up our permitting. Let's make sure we get our pipelines going. Let's set us up for success. No more going hat in hand to Saudi Arabia. No more getting dirty oil from Iran and Venezuela. God bless him. You know usually where there's one there's more so don't be surprised if more show up. But let me And we also have to look at the fact. We will have a female president of the United States. Hands down. All right, but hard truth. It's either going to be me or it's going to be Kamala Harris. 70% of Americans have said they don't want a Trump Biden rematch. The majority of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden. The majority of Americans disapprove of Donald Trump. Both of those men put us in trillions of dollars in debt that our kids are never going to forgive them for. And we're having to climb out of it. And do we really want a country in disarray and a world on fire and have our two candidates be in their 80s? No. We need to have someone who can put in eight years to get the job done and get our country back on track. So as we get ready for Super Tuesday, as we start to look at what's out there, just know I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this for the long haul. And this is going to be messy. And this is going to hurt. And it's going to leave some bruises. But at the end of the day, I don't mind taking that if you'll go right along with me.
2: Fox News reported Nikki Haley raised $1.7 million on her California trip. She's expected to continue fundraising in Super Tuesday states this upcoming week, with a visit scheduled for Texas. The California haul came just days after the Haley campaign reported raising $16.5 million in January. Republican Nikki Haley took her campaign to the Saturday Night Live soundstage last weekend, adding herself to the roster of modern political candidates who've tried to boost their appeal to a general audience. Next, a look at her appearance and an interview with Amy Becker of Loyola University, Maryland, about the impact of such appearances.
7: Okay, our next question comes from someone who describes herself as a concerned South Carolina voter. Yes, hello.
6: is why won't you debate Nikki Haley
8: oh my god it's her the woman who was in charge of security on January 6th it's Nancy Pelosi (laughs) for
7: the 100th time that is not Nancy Pelosi it is Nikki Haley
6: are you doing okay Donald you might need a mental competency test
8: you know what I did I took the test and I aced it okay perfect score they said I'm 100% mental and, you know, I'm confident because I'm a man. That's why a woman should never run our economy. Women are terrible with money. In fact, a woman I know recently asked me for $83.3 million.
6: And you've spent $50 million in your own legal fees. Do you need to borrow some money?
8: Oh, Nikki, don't do this, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, tiki-tavi. <laughs> Nikki, don't lose that number. Nikki Haley. Joel Osment. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment, we call her. Six Cents. Remember that one? I see dead people.
6: Yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot.
8: Oh, that's not very nice, Nikki. It's not nice. And I'm always very nice to you, except when I'm implying you weren't born in this country. Even though you're from South Carolina, and now I'm going to beat you in your state. And did you win your home state in the last election? I won Staten Island And the parts of Long Island where the fist fights happen where they where they get out of the cars if you honk at them. I love my world star whites.
7: All right, well, that is a new one on me. Okay, we have time for one more question, and it's actually for Ambassador Haley.
9: what would you say was the main cause of the Civil War? Um, and do you think it starts with an S and ends with a lavery?
6: <laughs> yep, I probably should have said that the first time. And live from New York, it's Saturday Night!
0: Amy Becker is Loyola University's communications professor. Why would a candidate, presidential candidate, like Nikki Haley, go on Saturday Night Live? What's the benefit?
9: Well, there's a few benefits. One, she's reaching an audience who may not be paying as close attention to the primary, um, but is watching a political comedy show or a you know a late night variety show. Um, it's also for the media coverage that follows. So you know, here we are a few days later talking about her appearance, right? And so it's not just the appearance itself, but all, it's all the media coverage that it generates. Um, voters like politicians who can be funny and be human beings, right? Um, and so the more she can appeal to, to be able to kind of roll with criticism and make some jokes and make fun of ourselves. um, That really, you know, appeals to voters.
0: How does it generally play out with with the public? Are they going to remember this months from now or when it's their turn, uh, when it's their state's turn to vote in this primary season?
9: No, I mean, it, it has a, really a small effect, but, um, you know, this clip will be replayed as she tries to advance throughout, you know, her political career, um, you know, so beyond the primary. Um, and voters really do appreciate when a politician is willing to make fun of themselves um, and to be made fun of. So, you know, it really just engenders goodwill um, for the future for her.
0: Can you think of previous presidential candidates who have done similar type of shows and what has been the benefit?
9: Yeah, so um, I've actually done some research, you know, Sarah Palin was one of the first, right? And John McCain also was on Saturday Night Live during that election cycle. Um, And, you know, it it doesn't help the election outcome per se. It doesn't mean that people are going to vote for you, but they think a little bit more favorably of you for doing it. And really Saturday Night Live has been on the air for so long and has such a broad audience. Um, And it's not the people who watch live anymore. It's the people who watch and the clips that get rehashed. Um, And so it has, uh, you know, really some good staying power.
10: We now take you live to the press conference of vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin.
8: Good evening. I'm Tim Lidecker. I'm Sarah Palin's spokesman. And we're very excited to be holding the governor's first official press conference. Now, tonight, nothing is off limits. While at the same time, I urge you guys to be cool. (laughs) Seriously, guys, just be cool. All right, one last thing. No recording devices, and don't write anything down.
7: This is a press conference. Okay, all
8: right, all right. It's worth a shot. All right, you can't blame me for trying. Okay, without further ado, I present Governor Sarah Palin.
6: to be in front of both the liberal elite media as well as the liberal regular media. (laughs) I am looking forward to a portion of your questions, so um, let's get started. Yes, you have to answer your question. You know, I don't worry about the polls. Polls are just a fancy way of systematically predicting what's going to happen. The only poll I care about is the North Pole, and that is melting. It's not great. What? The real one? (laughs)
10: <laughs> Bye! <laughs>
0: to take any of your questions, but I do want to take this opportunity to say
2: live from New York, it's Saturday night.
9: Um, It's the same reason why um, political candidates go on late night comedy shows that air during the week, right? For that kind of exposure that's different than a political talk program or a traditional campaign appearance.
0: Can you think of late night uh, talk show hosts who've had presidential candidates on some that our viewers may remember from the past. Yeah.
9: I mean, so there's some really great examples. You know, Stephen Colbert has some, done some great interviews with Joe Biden because they get really personal and they talk about things like grief and families. And so those resonate.
11: People know that you have experienced tragedies in your life. And we are inspired by the way that you have responded to those. And, and for myself, and I think, uh, I suspect for millions of people out there, I, I'd like to offer my condolences for the loss of your son, Beau. Um, I know that he was a great man, and um, I was hoping you could tell us a story about him. The the president in his eulogy called your son Joe 2.0. In what way is that a compliment to you?
3: You know, my dad had an expression. He used to say, you know your success as a parent when you turn and look at your child and realize they turned out better than you. I was a hell of a success. My son was better than me. And he was better than me in, uh, in almost every way. Um, the thing about Bo was, from the time he, my, my, another expression my dad had was, never complain and never explain. I never, one single time, my word is a Biden, ever, ever heard my child complain. When he was, when he was in that accident, lost his mom and his, uh, and his sister, uh, he was very badly injured. Almost every bone of his body broken. He was in a cast from his ankles, both legs, his chest, his arms. I used to carry him around with a hook in his back. And my other son, Hunter, his best friend a year and a day younger, was uh, just about three and had a severe skull fracture. And he'd sit in the room in the hospital and he'd turn and he'd say, Hunt, look at me. Look at me. I love you. I love you. Four years old. Nothing changed a couple months before he died. I was at his house, and uh, he said, Dad, sit down. I want to talk to you with Hallie, his wife, an incredible kid. And he said, Dad, uh, I know how much you love me. She said, you got to promise me something. Promise me you're going to be all right. Because no matter what happens, Dad, I'm going to be all right. Promise me. This, this is a kid who, 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 I don't know what it was about him. He had this enormous... Sense of empathy, and I'm, I'm making this up. I know I maybe sound like a father. I hope I. Anyway, but 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 it's it real. Sounds
11: like it sounds like you
3: love him, sir. Oh jeez I mean, I yes.
9: Uh... You know, uh, Jimmy Fallon was criticized for when he had Trump on um, during you know the 2016 election cycle because he didn't take it very seriously, right? Um, you know, and played with his hair. And now, you know, there's a lot of political criticism of that appearance today. And you know what kind of uh, appearances will play out during this general election cycle.
12: Do you, you pay attention to the polls. I mean, oh, I, I
5: love the polls. You I do, I, but I don't pay attention. If I'm losing or lagging, I'd never mention. It. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Believe <Brilliant>. me. <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> only when I'm.
8: Uh, I've noticed that well, a little change. I think your voice has changed a little bit. Ah. Because I've I've done, I, I'd hate to break it to you, but I've done an impression of that's you pretty
12: once pretty.
5: or twice. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> On the show. And uh, you have. Thank you for. Thank you for letting me do that. Very good impression. Thank you. But when you first started running, you you were very high voice. Your voice was very high. China. You say China, and yeah, a lot of points. Very high, and then you talk, and then you got into a stage where you were just yelling. You were yelling into the microphone at people, and you're yelling at everyone, and like you don't even need the mic. And now, now you're more of like a smoky, silky. Go ahead. Can I mess your hair up?
7: <laughs>
5: with my hair hairspray.
9: Um, but politicians really capitalize on those experiences and those performances, right? Because they can seem more like regular people who are just having a conversation with a late-night host.
0: How did it work out for Bill Clinton when he went on the uh, late show and played? He was one of the first, yeah. right?
9: He played the saxophone. Exactly, on Arsenio Hall. <laughs> TV, that same election cycle, and they asked him if he wore boxers or briefs, right? That was kind of the beginning um, or considered the be- beginning of those appearances in ways that um, politicians were asked questions that you wouldn't normally think would be appropriate, right? Um, but it makes him seem more appealing when he plays the saxophone, right? Um, and, and so that really, 92, really that campaign really ushered in this era of we really can't separate kind of entertainment and news out anymore when it comes to politicians.
0: Do these late night talk show hosts, do they have a political audience?
9: Um, I think that there are some people who, most people who tune into late night comedy are tuning in for the comedy, right? And they're coming for entertainment and for laughter, but they're, as a byproduct learning something a little bit about politics. And so, you know, if you watch the Saturday Night Live appearance with Nikki Haley, you have to know what she said earlier during the campaign, right? And why they're poking fun of her um, kind of forgetting to mention slavery as, you know, a a piece of the Civil War, right? And so you have to know what was going on in New Hampshire um, and during the primary season. And to really fully get the joke. So it does encourage people to kind of look things up to learn more about what's going on in politics and why they're referencing that particular joke.
0: President Biden recently made headlines for skipping CBS's halftime Super Bowl interview that in recent years other presidents have done. What tell us about these previous presidents? that decision and the impact that type of interview has had in the past and about Biden's decision to skip.
9: Um, So, you know, those, I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the politics and football and do they mix and, you know, all this like conspiracy stuff with Taylor Swift and the Democrats. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, right. That it's a story. Um, But, you know, there's a very broad audience who watches the Super Bowl, Right. And so doing interviews on, you know, not, like non-political or non-traditional programs have a broader reach, but I think, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's not the time and the place. Um, you know, I don't know the the reasoning behind the decision, but I think that a lot of people would rather just have their football and maybe not insert their politics. Um, and so there's some entertainment moments where it's certainly more appropriate. Um, and there's some moments that really should just stick to what you know, what they're there to present, which is a football game and some great commercials, right? And a halftime performance. Um, So I think that's, you know, a piece of it as well. I also think that um, Joe Biden, you know, has taken a different approach to his media appearances than maybe some other prior presidents, right? He doesn't always talk off the cuff as much. Um, And part of that's, you know, just his style and part of it is a comfort level thing. Um, But I think that we want to, you know, we still, while we really mix entertainment and politics, we want to be careful about where we do that.
0: There has been criticism of President Biden for not holding as many news conferences as previous presidents. What is the impact of him not taking questions from the press who are there to ask those questions on the behalf of the American people?
9: You know, I think that if you look... um each president has, you know, a a preference, right? For whether it's a press conference for its, you know, um, when they have a, a dignitary visit, are there some questions? I think each president is sort of entitled to, you know, choosing the way that they want to engage with the press. I do think, though, that there is a responsibility, right, to inform the public and to be willing to take interviewer questions. I think that he just prefers a more scripted, um, you know, setting, um, and that's his preference. And I think also as we get closer to the election cycle, um, you know, you may may see some of his press strategy change, right, um, to reflect kind of the the need for um, the campaign. But I think that he's probably being pretty careful um, in choosing to engage with the press in the way that he does.
0: Your communications professor, can a presidential candidate be too too careful or a president who's running for re-election be too careful?
9: Um, you know, at times, perhaps, um, right? It really depends on the level of engagement and kind of personal preference. But I think that um, our information cycle moves so quickly um, that, you know, how much of, um, these questions are really just to generate sound bites, right, until the next issue pops up. And so you can uh, think a little bit about the quality of the engagement and um, answering questions. And also, you know, there's a reason why politicians have a whole host of surrogates right, who give press briefings and answer questions. I do think it's important in an election cycle to hear from the politician themselves, right, rather than their, um, you know, their press secretary and and other folks. Um, But I think that there's probably a balance to be achieved. Um, And, you know, this is, again, going to be a very um, different, campaign in some ways than we've seen before, a different election cycle, but also it's going to look a lot like 2020, right? So, um, you know, I think the press also has a responsibility in the way that they cover candidates um, and, you know, what kind of airtime and what type of quality of information that's being shared with the public.
0: What do you think the impact of a new technology or a new platform like TikTok is having on how presidential campaigns are run in this cycle and, and in cycles to come, when you have President Biden's campaign office, their spokesperson saying, we're getting creative. We're going around traditional media. We're using TikTok, podcasts, reaching out to radio stations.
9: Um, I think that's valuable in that, you know, you reach a different audience on TikTok, right? You reach young people. Um, And there are certainly questions of authenticity. Um, And I know that a lot of politicians have raised security concerns about TikTok. And so there's like that on the one side, but at the same time, that's where young people are gathering, right, and engaging with content. And so you have to kind of adapt to the format. Um, It's really not that different from Politicians starting to go on entertainment programs, right? And, and Bill Clinton playing the saxophone in 1992. Where, where the conversation is happening is where you need to be. And so that means shifting to social media and other platforms as they develop. You know, in a prior election cycle, you would have been talking about them engaging on Twitter, right? And so now, um, you know, if we're focusing on TikTok, you know, in four or eight years from now, it might be another social media application or platform.
0: Amy Becker, Loyal University Communications Professor. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told reporters this week he might seek the Libertarian Party nomination, as he continues to struggle with ballot access in many states. Next, part of a video his campaign was circulating on social media channels this week, instructing volunteers how to gather petition signatures in states where he has yet to get on this year's presidential ballot.
11: So before every rally, we will train everybody on how to petition collect in that state.
7: So the first thing we're going to start with, everyone, is look at your petition packets. (music) Qualifying is making sure that an individual is actually able to sign your petition. The first thing you should ask is, excuse me, sir, are you registered to vote here in Nebraska? Yes. Perfect. So this person has now been qualified. We're here filming in Lincoln, Nebraska where we are gonna need roughly 3,900 raw signatures in order to place RFK Jr. on the
11: ballot. The signature requirements range from 275 in Tennessee to 1,000 in Utah, 45,000 in New York, and 145,000 in Florida. And to make sure we meet our targets, we're collecting an extra 60% in every state, which means we need about 1 million signatures across the country.
7: Roping is merely the process of getting the clipboard in their hand and giving them the instructions to start filling out the petition. Would you like to sign our petition to put RFK Jr. on the ballot here? Uh, You know,
11: I don't know very much about him.
7: Okay, so RFK Jr. is a third-party candidate. He's running as an independent, former Democrat, long-term environmentalist, anti-war. Does that sound like something you could support? That does. Perfect. I, I believe in that. hand them the clipboard before you hand them the pen so i need your today's date your signature your printed name date of birth address city zip code okay they will say that
11: they're interested in signing or they're not and don't worry if they're not of course that's fine you can just move on there are many other people that you'll have to ask
7: Now that I've handed it off to him, I don't want to just watch him. I want to bring in the next person. So, excuse me, sir, are you registered to vote here in Nebraska? No. No. Ma'am, are you registered to vote here in Nebraska? Would you like to sign a petition to put RFK Jr. on the ballot? Yes. Perfect. What you see is once he started working on it, I pivoted to the next person, but I didn't stand here and do my pitch, so I'm yelling in his ear. You anchor them to start filling out the form, and you pivot to the next person in the line. And you're going with a very simple pitch. It's a one-sentence sort of elevator spiel. Do not get into arguments or debates with people. Our goal is high-volume signatures. We are not debate club.
2: Next, a preview of what you'll see this weekend on American History TV's Historic Campaign Speeches series. Every Saturday, AHTV looks at presidential campaigns past. This week, you'll hear from Democrat John Edwards at a 2008 campaign rally, ahead of that year's Nevada caucuses. And from 2012 a speech from Republican Mitt Romney after he narrowly lost that year's Iowa contest to former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum. I see an
10: America where last year ExxonMobil made $40 billion. In one year, $40 billion, record profits. The CEO of one of the largest health insurance companies in America made $200 million. In one year, $200 million. And I take that picture of America and I put it side by side With this picture, an America where tonight 47 million of our people will go to bed knowing if their child gets sick, that they're going to have to go to the emergency room and beg for health care. Women who tomorrow will conduct an exam of themselves, a self-exam, and find a lump in their breast, and like my wife Elizabeth did, will discover that they have breast cancer. But unlike us, we have great health care coverage. Some of these women will have no health care coverage. Where are they supposed to go? Where are they supposed to go? What are they supposed to do? Every woman in this room knows you can't get chemotherapy in the emergency room. And they're terrified, absolutely terrified. Tomorrow, 37 million people will wake up in this country literally worried about feeding and clothing their children and living in poverty. I was at a shelter a few weeks ago where they took in single moms uh, with their children. It was an amazing, wonderful place. And the people who ran it were wonderful. But I asked, do you ever have to send families away? And they said, yes, sometimes. We had to send 70, 75 families away just a few months ago. And they, I said, so when you send them away, these are parent, mothers with kids. Yes, some of them as many as three or four children. I said, where do they go? To the street. Back to cars. Children living on the street in America. While Exxon Mobil makes $40 billion. Last year, 35 million people went hungry in this country about the population of California, roughly. 35 million people going hungry in the richest nation on the planet. And tonight, 200,000 men and women who wore our uniform, veterans, will go to sleep under bridges and on grates. Over 4,000 right here in, in Las Vegas. We're better than this, and enough is enough. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to speak out. It is time for us to say, we want an America where everybody gets a chance, where everybody gets a real opportunity. That's what this election is about. That's what we're fighting for. That's what all of us are fighting for. And together, we're gonna create that kind of America. President Obama is shrinking our military and hollowing out
13: our national defense. I will insist on a military so powerful that no one in the world would ever think of challenging it. President Obama seems to believe that America's role as leader in the world is a thing of the past. I believe the 21st century will be and must be an American century. Our mission is to increase the freedom and opportunity of the American people and our blueprint is the Constitution of the United States. We're going to build an America where hope is a new job with a paycheck, not a faded word and an old bumper sticker. And I will not attempt to bribe the voters with promises of new programs and new subsidies and ever-increasing checks from government if this election is a bidding war for who can promise the most benefits that I'm not your president. You have that president today. But if you want to make this election about restoring American greatness, then I hope you'll join with us.
2: Next, a discussion with Paul LaRocco and Scott Eidler, two reporters with Newsday, who talked about the upcoming special election in New York's third congressional district.
1: As most people may know, um, George Santos, uh, who represented the district uh, um, for Little under um, really a year, uh, got expelled um, in, back in December after the House Ethics Committee uh, released a uh, you know damning report about um you know his uh, campaign activities and and he's also you know under indictment for uh, you know on suspicion of uh, several felonies related to uh, defrauding uh, campaign donors and lying on financial documents.
0: Scott Eidler, who are the candidates that are running to replace him?
14: We've got Tom Swazi. He's the former congressman. He represented the district for six years. He decided not to run for re-election in 2022. He ran a primary for governor against Kathy Hochul. He placed third, so he's back. They asked him to run again for his old seat. And we have got a uh, legislator, Nassau County legislator, Mazie Pill. She is a veteran of the Israel Defense Forces. She's Ethiopian-raised she was airlifted out of Ethiopia at age 12 in 1991 to Israel, where she made Aliyah. She resettled there. And she's only in her third year as a county legislator, but her star has risen uh, in the last couple of months as she's been very active supporter of uh, Israel.
0: Paula Rocco, what are the latest polls showing about who could win this special election?
1: Well, there, there haven't really been uh, many public polls. I believe Emerson College did a poll uh, several weeks ago where uh, with PIX11, uh, the, one of the local TV stations here, that, that showed pretty much a dead heat within the margin of error. I believe Tom Swasey was up by four points, but this was pretty early on. Um, um, you know, And, and w- there might be another poll uh, by by Siena in the coming days, uh, so we're going to wait and see about that. But I, I mean, the sense from everyone is that it's, it's going to be close, and maybe it's going to be hard to predict because you know the turnout is going to be much lower than you would see on a midterm or presidential year for a full election, and it it's going to rely on a lot of the traditional get out the vote operations, of the, these party machines, and 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 you know it's really. Uh, You know, there's there's it's it's yet to be determined who's going to do better with that, although NASA Republicans have a good reputation on driving out uh, their loyalists and and their voters on local elections.
0: Scott, either when will the voters of uh, District three make their choice?
14: Tuesday, February thirteenth is the election day. Early voting has been going on since Saturday. It'll it'll last until this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. So we're we're monitoring the numbers at Newsday. Democrats have a little bit of an edge. They've been coming out more uh, frequently than Republicans so far, but that we don't know who they voted for, of course. There's more uh, Democrats have had uh, requested more absentee ballots, so that could also play a role as well.
0: Are the former president and the current president playing a role in this race?
1: I mean, they're playing a role in that they're both unpopular or or i mean joe biden has very low approval ratings in in the district from what we know um, and tom swazi is essentially keeping it a, keeping him at arm's length he's disagreeing with his um, you know handling of the border uh, border issue and he, he hasn't really made any overtures that he wants the president to come and campaign with him in the final days now mazi pula uh, started the campaign of in the same way with Donald Trump, you know, would, would um, dodge about whether she had voted for him in the past, about whether she would support him if he's the nominee. But in recent days, actually, she's she's kind of changed the tone of her statements and and expressed her opinion that Trump is great and that, you know, he um, she would support him as the nominee for, for president and she would welcome him to come and campaign. But that's yet to be determined. Scott Adler, how would you describe the District 3
14: voters? Sure. it's District 3 covers a little bit of Queens. A lot of it is the north shore of Nassau County, and it dips south a bit uh, to the south shore. But most of it is concentrated in the north shore of Nassau County. It's a very swing district, right? You have a lot of Democrats. It's traditionally been a Democratic seat. The last time Tom Swasey held the seat, it was it was more concentrated on the north shore. So very heavily Republican areas were drawn into the district, areas like Massapequa, Levittown, these are the strongholds of the Republican Party. So that's something working against him. But you have two, what's interesting is the Jewish community in Long Island. On Long Island, you have a very strong Orthodox base in areas like Great Neck, the Great Neck Peninsula. It's one of the most heavily concentrated Jewish communities in the nation. And so that's where Mazie Pillip is from. She's Orthodox. She's an Israeli immigrant. So the Republicans have been cultivating a relationship in this community for the last several years. It's helped them to flip some big townships, elections, and you have a moderate and conservative Jewish community in, in other areas, Plainview, Roslyn, Port Washington, Syosset, Woodbury. Uh, if, if viewers are familiar with those areas, they they lean Democratic. So you're seeing a lot of, they have the, the candidates have the same position. They're very strongly pro-Israel, but they're they're both appealing to the Jewish vote and a lot of moderate Democratic Jews are, are angry with the, the progressive wing of the party. You're hearing a lot of talk about the squad uh, from Republicans. So that's playing a big role.
0: Paul LaRocco, is
1: George Santos or his infamy playing a role in this race? I mean, Democrats would like it to play a role. And in the very beginning, they they did try to, uh, you know, put out a few photos of Mozzie Pillip campaigning with George Santos, you know, before he was elected and before all of this came out. But I, it didn't seem to stick in that um, they haven't really been pressing on it. Now, in recent days, they've tried to bring up um, some inconsistencies in her financial disclosures between her county disclosure and her uh, um, federal uh, disclosure as a candidate to kind of raise the question, well, we can't take the chance. Of having another Santos, uh, you know, um, you know, trying to imply that you know the maybe the the details behind her personal finances are murky, but but as a as an overarching you know dominant theme, the George Santos really has not and and has not really been been coming up that much. Right? But Tom Swazi doesn't really mention him that much.
0: George Santos's removal from the House brought into question the vetting of candidates. Remind our viewers, Paul or, and or Scott. About the role Newsday played and and getting out the information about George Santos, uh, the campaign allegations and his past.
14: Uh, in this in this campaign, we are heavily vetting the candidates. We are going. We've we've contacted universities that they've attended. We've contacted the IDF. Uh, we've looked at. We've had uh, translators looking at Mozzie Phillips' records from the war, and so we're leaving no stone unturned. We've published. Uh, pieces that have gotten into uh, exactly what we know, what we can confirm uh, for each of the candidates in this race. It's definitely flipped the script on how uh, news organizations are, are vetting public candidates. We've vetted public records, we've vetted lawsuits, and we've... We've added opposition research. A lot of it is in fact is not factual. So we've we've left no stone unturned. We've gone through public records and and campaign finance reports.
1: And it's it's been a very um, Thorough process on our part. Yeah, I mean, you know, we take nothing for granted in the post kind of Santos era. Even Tom swazi has been around 30 plus years in local politics. Um, he's written about hundreds, if not thousands of times in this publication and others. And, and we were going back and checking basic things about his biography as well. Uh, just, you know, just in, in that, um, you know, wanting doing that due diligence and, and trying to give our readers confidence that, uh, you know, what they're saying about themselves is, is actually true.
0: Give our viewers an idea of how much it takes, how many hours and and the effort it takes to do what you're describing to vet candidates for the public.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 many hours and days of, I mean, you know, we've been juggling that between the 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 coverage of the race, the issues, you know, going out there, you know, detailing their campaign strategies. But the basic, you know, the basis of all that has been, you know, the just the verifying the basic details, and that's kind of where we started, you know, before any of the other things came about, you know, whether it's, you know, going through public records in terms of, you know, voter registry history and and address history and, and uh, whether they come up in any lawsuits or litigation of any kind, civil, um, you know, so that, that is kind of laborious, you know, um, work that, that takes a long time. But, but certainly it's, it's um, you know, paid dividends in that it, it's given us the ability to write a fuller picture of not only verify basic details, but provide a fuller picture of, of each candidate, uh, you know, more authoritatively. Scott
0: Eiler Paula Rocco, we appreciate your reporting and thank you for sharing it with us.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you very much.
2: Next, coverage of the sole debate in the New York 3rd Congressional District special election race from Thursday night from News 12 Long Island
3: of News 12 debate between Mazzie Pillip and Tom Suozzi. Yeah,
0: it's a one and only chance to see those two candidates face off ahead of Tuesday's special election in the third congressional district.
3: And News 12's Kevin Vesey watched the whole thing and joins us now with a breakdown of some of the highlights. Kevin. Yeah,
12: and Joe and Antoinette, the eyes of the entire nation are going to be on this election, so everyone is really going to want to watch this debate. It is an eye-opening look at both of these candidates as they discussed the issues that matter to you. And at times that discussion became heated and personal.
8: My opponent is unvetted and unprepared. We've been down this road before with George Santos, we can't go down this road again.
15: Biden, the squad and Tom Swazi taking our country to the wrong direction.
12: Republican-backed candidate Mazzi Pillip and Democrat Tom Swasey traded barbs in an exclusive News 12 town hall debate. The event was moderated by morning anchor Rich Barabi in front of a live audience at the Beth Page Optimum Theater. Both candidates are vying to replace George Santos in Congress, and Pillip quickly went on the attack over the migrant crisis.
15: Tom Swasey opened the border. Tom Funding the sanctuary city, Thomas Swasey kicked ICE from Nassau County.
8: In 2018, when I was in Congress, I was one of only 18 Democrats that voted to fund ICE. When people said, let's abolish ICE, I was only one of 18 Democrats. I went against
12: my party. The debate got contentious over the abortion issue. Pillip insisted she would not support a national abortion ban, despite a recent attack ad by a super PAC that said she would.
15: You know what's funny? You, a man, will tell Mazi Pellip, a mother of seven children, what's women's rights, what's pregnancy about. Are and you saying gone. that you're
8: pro-choice?
15: At Are you abortion, pro-choice? Every woman should have that right. Well, that's, about laws. The, every, that's about laws. It is, it is a personal decision, a personal choice.
12: On affordability and inflation, Swazi said he would continue his fight to get the state and local tax exemption restored. He accused his opponent of not offering a plan to make life better for Long Islanders.
15: Ms. Pell points out there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. She has no solutions. You are a talker. I am the person who will deliver when I promise.
12: Now, the special election to fill George Santos's vacant seat will be held this coming Tuesday, and there is so much hanging on this election, including the balance of power in a closely divided House of Representatives. Antoinette, Joe?
2: A reminder, this program and all of C-SPAN's campaign 2024 coverage can be found online at cspan.org/campaign